So I think if we want to get people who look different than us in this, we have to have use cases that matter to each group. And for women, that is speaking differently. That is actually not broing out and screaming, wag me an LFG in every room, because we don't necessarily lead with alpha energy. It's with empathy, it's thoughtfulness, and really smart analytics. I find women much better at actually being logical, analytical, and assessing risk. But we don't give space for that because we're just screaming at the top of our lungs to go mint something. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Wolfson, the host and founder of Web3 Deep Dive Podcast. Web3 Deep Dive Podcast focuses on real-world Web3 use cases to help you better understand how Web3 is being applied today and how it may be leveraged in the future. If this sounds interesting, I encourage you to subscribe, like, and share the content that you're seeing today to help spread the word about Web3. I also want to take this time to thank the sponsors behind Web3 Deep Dive Podcast. Worsta is producing Web3 Deep Dive Podcast and is a global technology consultancy agency with headquarters in Austin, Texas and Quito, Ecuador. Worsta works with enterprises to help them make better technology decisions for their businesses. I also want to take the time to thank Banksa. Banksa is a leading crypto infrastructure payments provider. Be sure to check out Banksa for your Web3 project today. And without further ado, let's get started with Web3 Deep Dive. Hi, Swan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for coming on Web3 Deep Dive. And hello, Deanna. How's it going? Hi, so good. I'm so glad to be here with you, Swan. Yes. So Swan, you're very well known, but I'm just going to put it out there for our listeners. You are a Web3 advisor, creator, and obviously you have many other titles, but the show's focused on Web3, so we'll stick with that. Perfect. Great. So we're at VCon 2023. What are your thoughts on the event? It's amazing. I mean, Gary knows how to put on a world-class event. And what I think is so interesting is that last year was its first year. So it was very Web3 heavy because anyone who had knowledge of what an NFT or a wallet is to get here was somewhat in Web3. So there are a lot of creators and projects and stuff. And as he's evolved, right, we're not monochromatic. We can be in Web3 and be journalists or, you know, creators or businesswomen. So I think the angle this year is really interesting because it still has Web3 undercurrent, but it's much broader. There's business, there's sports, there's music. And so I think it's a reflection of all of us. We might be DGENs in Web3, but we all have different interests and there's something to be learned from all walks of life. Definitely. What is your definition of Web3? Web3 is anything that is built on top of the blockchain, right? And sometimes people have a, a trouble understanding it. I was like, you know, like the basic internet, the building blocks, right? No one thinks about servers or HTTP and stuff, but you know what an e-commerce site is or a social media app. So Web3 with the underlying layer being the blockchain, right? Then a token is a record on it. And then Web3 is the ecosystem of products and apps and functionalities built on top of it. So there could be a social platform on it, there could be an e-commerce one, but it's all built on the base of a blockchain. It's pretty broad. Right. And what got you interested in Web3? It's a variety of things. I mean, I ended up on Clubhouse during the pandemic and it's a time where you could just be curious because you just wander into random rooms and the topics were super diverse. I could be talking about social justice in one room, listening about current news or Renaissance literature. I mean, it was super broad. And one day I heard about this thing called the blockchain and what NFTs were. So I started digging into it and I'm like, oh my God, if I was, you know, I was the head of 
uh, digital marketing at Nike and then ran e-commerce operations for North America, which is a $2 billion P&L. And I had a lot of trouble tracing products, high heat, high desire shoes, following it from the factory to the boat, to the truck, to the boat, to the retailer, to the consumer, and then the resold consumer. I had no idea who my actual customers were because a lot of times they bought through retail partners like Foot Locker or even Goat or StockX that sold it at like 10x the price for a secondary marketplace. I thought, well, if the blockchain could be tied to physical goods, I could completely understand where my products and businesses are, but also where consumers are. So that was the initial spark is thinking through problems I had in running day-to-day businesses. But then as I started becoming a creator myself, thinking about the value of IP, I mean, memes, by the time we see a meme, it's on BuzzFeed or something big. They're the ones that are getting the benefits of the advertising dollars or the eyeballs. But most memes come from creators out of their own bedrooms, and we don't know how to reward people. So as I started thinking about inefficiencies with businesses, with IP and creative content, all the way down to the fact that I can't transfer you guys money through a wire after 5 p.m., that's absurd. I can PayPal you at two in the morning up until a certain amount of money, right? The way our banking systems work are so archaic. Why shouldn't have some, I shouldn't have, why shouldn't I have some provenance over how I move my money? And so as I started seeing more and more social issues become impacted by the power of blockchain, I was all in. Yeah, I love that that you got interested in the space through the technology aspect rather than the cryptocurrency aspect, which is very similar to me, just blockchain for supply chain management in 2017. I was like, this is fascinating. Exactly. That's one of the biggest applications for it. So I'm so glad you came in through that angle, too, because, you know, I think anything that's speculative can be a little hypey, right, and has, you know, peaks and valleys. But building solutions for problems, that's never going to go out of trend. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How do you feel about the Web3 space today and where it's headed and, you know, what we've seen What are your thoughts on that? I think that the Web3 space is going through a bear, which is no secret to anyone. But what I find unique about my perspective and a small handful is that it was expected, right? Anything new goes in waves, right? The dot-com boom ran like crazy. Then it crashed in 2001 when we were overvalued for a lot of stuff. And so, again, anything speculative that gets hypey is going to go through cycles. I was on Randy Zuckerberg's podcast in December um, of the year before. And actually, it's funny. I just saw her upstairs. So we were laughing about that moment. And I was like, this is the peak of the bull. And I was like, we are running way too hot. Right? We have 10, 15 PFP collections launching every day that are 10,000 pieces. There's not 100,000 new wallets being opened every day. And there's not enough liquidity in the existing ones to sustain that. And so the way right now the industry works with PFPs, and it's stabilized a little bit, is you only make money if you sell it to somebody who pays more for it than you did. And the margins and what you earn get smaller and smaller the further you go down the chain. That's actually a pyramid structure. Right. And those kind of have a bad name because you have to have some underlying value to it. Right. If Apple goes out of business, they can liquidate the inventory. They can sublease the buildings. They can license the IP. But if a PFP project goes out of business, you have a JPEG. So when I brought this up, I was like, when supply outpaces demand by that much, it doesn't matter if you're selling tulips from hundreds of years ago, which was another crash or JPEGs. It's just math. So in a weird way. I'm not worried about it because I expected a reset. I predicted three months we'd have a crash. It happened in four months. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not saying it's great. A lot of us lost money. I have a whole wallet 
bag of stinking crap that's not worth anything, right? But I did it because I wanted to support entrepreneurs and creators and to see where this would go. I never expected to flip it for a lot of money. I think I've only ever sold like five NFTs, right? Um, but I think it's comforting because the people that are still here, the fact that you guys are creating a whole new podcast based on this means the builders are building. Bear markets are for builders and we're here to stay. So this is where like the solutions like supply chain or content really actually hit the road because this is what is not based on a hype cycle. It's based on actual solutions and human needs. Definitely. Like a, a, a guest said, I'm forgetting who it was, it's Builder Spring. Or yeah. build, yeah, it's Builder Spring. That was Jesse Pollock. Jesse Pollock, Coinbase, who's working on base, said it's Builder Spring. Yeah, absolutely. So I commend everyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or a founder, which I'm not, I do a lot of advisory and fractional or interim roles for a lot of projects growing up. Anyone who showed up at VCon is part of the build crowd. Mm -hmm. We are building that future together by participating, by speaking up, by showing up. That's a builder. Definitely. What are your thoughts on NFTs and utility and how important is that today? And do you think that we're going to continue seeing that moving forward? It's interesting because people talk about whether NFT should have utility. And I actually stepped back and I was like, an NFT is a format of a technology. It's not a thing you sell. So the way I think about it is if I ask you what your favorite music is, you don't say CDs or MP3s. You say rock or jazz or hip hop. And I think like any new things like the internet was an industry until it became every day right then it became something we just do it's not an industry anymore and i think nfts are like that it's so new it's its own category but at some point it's literally just a record on the blockchain whether it's fungible or not it doesn't matter it's a token on the blockchain and that's how we actually store information so when we talk about should nfts have utility i first when brands tell me they want to do an nft i said well what do you want do you want to do a membership program a loyalty program? Are you trying to track products? Like, What is it that you want? And let's see if an NFT is the right technology format to store that information and transact with it. So if we're now talking about a program with utility, I utility. So 11's and I club in Miami, I help them with their NFT project. That NFT gets you to the front of the line for free any day you walk up. That's it. That's the utility. It's a membership token for access, right? They have great events. There's a lot of fun stuff around it. But the main utility is, I mean, the swagger that you have when there's 300 people waiting outside trying to get in and you walk right to the front of the line, right? Marketing and product design is about understanding people and their desires and needs. And so if you want to walk, whether it's in front of a date or a potential business deal and walk right in, that is absolutely worth three ETH all day, right? So that's a great utility, but a piece of art that you're just supposed to appreciate for the integrity of the art, maybe shouldn't. And I think one thing that's actually a little dangerous is that utility became such a big thing to play off of with the PFP game, it bled into everything. And I see really talented artists who create digital art or music now feel pressured to offer something. Whereas in the art world, if you bought a piece by Basquiat, you didn't get to have dinner with him. I mean, maybe if you're a big collector, but I wanna make sure we're not taxing people too much because People expect a financial return from these investments, at least early on, right? That's what gave a lot of that buzz and momentum. But because they weren't getting the financial return, they expected a return in other ways through utility. And I think we actually need to step way back and just say, this is a technology format. So if we're designing a program that gives you something, absolutely there has to be utility. But inherently, does a technology, does an MP3 have utility? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you make really good points. I really appreciate your take on that. At an industry that moves at lightning pace, how do you stay on trend of what the next move should be? 
I wish I had a good answer for how to stay on top of things because I mean, a week in web three is like three months in real life. And honestly, you know, I used to get a lot of my information from Twitter spaces or clubhouse and talking to friends, but I've gone into build mode. I work with art blocks. I worked with board apes and Adidas. I mean, I'm doing a lot of cool stuff behind the scenes with some of these projects. And that made me unavailable to sit in a Twitter space five hours a day listening for alpha. And so on one hand, I can say, you just got to talk to people because that's how information still spreads in web three. It's through circles, alpha chats, et cetera. Hopefully we'll break out of that soon because that's such a big divide between the haves and have nots. I want to break out of that. But the one biggest learning I started to do is I was going, driving myself crazy, measuring myself against everyone else. Well, they minted that they sold that they got access to this. They got that stage. And that comparison will drive you to zero on your self-worth. So, on one hand, listen, talk to people, build relationships, because that's how information is spread. But the way I actually stay current is actually to build things that solve problems today and to stay in my lane, not worry about what people are doing. Um, trust in that, like I bring a business experience to the table that I know there's problems to be solved and to do what I'm good at and not just get so you know thrown around by, by the momentum of everyone else. It's good to know like the top thing that happened that week. I don't think I need to know all the projects that I could have minted and missed out on. Comparison is the thief of joy, right? 100%. That's such, so beautifully put. What are some of the biggest problems to be solved that you see still in the industry? The industry, I think, needs to solve. The biggest one, the biggest problem this industry needs to solve in order to get mass adoption is ease of use. And some people might say, we don't want mass adoption. I'm like, cool. That means you always have to convert, convert crypto to fiat to buy bread. All you did was create monopoly money. So... If you're not doing mass adoption out of altruism, do it out of self-preservation because your crypto won't work if it actually doesn't get you anything. So then if you then translate to that to be mass adoption, it's so hard to use, right? MetaMask, I still am like, did I do that right? I'm bridging to arbit. What am I bridging to? Like how it, it's so confusing. And we're in this industry and I'm so deathly scared every day of clicking the wrong button. So it's hard to use. And then the scams are incessant. And so we're in this really painful growth phase, just like the early days of the internet and Silk Road and trying to figure out how to use a C prompt to get to the internet. It was insane. Like most people won't do it. But the reality is some of us care about sovereignty of our assets, but 90% of the population don't care, right? They might want things on chain like medical records so you don't go to the doctor and fill out the forms for the 20th time all over again. We want ease of use. We want to make sure things are safe, but whether I hold them myself I couldn't care less. In fact, I'm deathly scared I'm going to lose all my seed phrases for all my wallets at some point, right? And I don't have different ones. I have one for each chain, but each chain has one. I'm like, wait, where did I put it? Banksa is the leading crypto on and off ramp solution. Through an extensive and growing network of global and local payment solutions and regulatory licenses, Banksa helps businesses provide seamless integration of crypto and fiat for global audiences safely and compliantly with lower fees and higher conversion rates. For more information on how to integrate Banksa into your project or product, visit banksa.com. On that note, um, Ledger is releasing a service, I think it's called Recover, to like help people with their seed phrases and if they lose it. So I think it will help drive mass adoption just based on what you were saying. I think it's a good thing, but obviously a lot of people in the crypto space and the OGs find it horrifying. And I love the approach. Um, The internet is not all things equal to everyone, 
right? Some people on social just lurk and read. Some people post 50 times a day. So the fact that we think that everyone's going to use Web3 the same way is also kind of asinine. So what I love about what Ledger does is that, you know, right now we've got purists, right? The Any movement starts with anti-establishment and sovereignty of assets and privacy were at the core of the start of blockchain. But not everyone's a purist. So I think having a you know, how, choose your own adventure, however you like it is good. If you want help with Ledger for your seed phrase, great. But you don't have to do that. So for any purists or maxis to say that's a terrible thing to do, you're not responsible for the choices of everyone around the world and how they want to manage their data. So I think it's a great thing. I think it's a service that's honestly really needed because the amount of people who've lost high value assets because they've lost a seed phrase is heartbreaking. I don't even trust myself. I'm scared to death I'm going to lose a seed phrase and we are in this industry, yeah. right? So, I mean, carving a seed phrase on metal and burying it in your black backyard seems equally dangerous to me. So I think having some sort of alternative and for those who want the help, they can choose that. I think that's a great solution. Yeah. Web3 is all about choices. It's all about, you know, do you want to do this or do, would you rather just hold it yourself? So I think it's that's what Web3 is about. And how about three women talking about Web3? You've been a huge advocate, Swan. What are you doing or how do you feel about um, empowering women and folks to join the Web3 movement? Web3 is more diverse than Web1 and 2, but it's definitely not diverse. And I still have that argument. I can't believe we still have to have the argument that the numbers don't show equity. Um, I was on stage two years ago at ETH Denver, and it was G-Money, Alex from OpenSea, Alex from Rarible, and, um, and Medved was moderating us. And Alex Honnikov from Rarible, I mean, I we're all friends it's so great but he was like web3 is so diverse and i was like really i was like i think it's a different group of white men than web one and two but it's still mostly white men he's like no look at the faces in this room i'm like yeah it's mostly white men in fact i'm sitting between two white men and you're both named alex you literally have the same name so we're not there yet um but the reality is like any new thing when it's insider information, whether it's a new TV show or a new industry, spreads through networks and networks tend to look, act and sound the same. So if people keep sharing with each other, the people they're close to, which is natural, it's not malicious, you only get a certain profile of person. So if we wanna get women, people of color, non-binary people in, we have to actually not only break out of the cycles of talking to people who are exactly like us, but we have to explain it in ways that make sense. Right? When I talk about sovereignty of your assets and controlling how you wire money, if you live paycheck to paycheck, you couldn't care less. But if I talk to you about getting paid every day fractionally instead of once a month, so you don't have to budget a whole month to think about how to feed your kids, but you could get paid fractionally every day because that money transfers more efficient than a bank, maybe now you're interested, right? And not only does that help with budgeting, imagine like your boss forgot to run payroll before they left on vacation for that weekend, or you're waiting till one day where you get your bonus one time a year, why shouldn't you get bonus if you did a great job that week and your customers loved you? But you're waiting for one bonus time a year. And it's good for companies too because after big companies pay out bonuses, a bunch of people leave. They wait till the check hits the bank account. Why not reward people in real time? What a great incentive. So I think if we want to get people who look different than us in this, we have to have use cases that matter to each group. And for women, that is speaking differently. That is actually not broing out and screaming, wag me and LFG in every room because we don't necessarily lead with alpha energy. It's with empathy, it's thoughtfulness and really smart analytics. I find women much better at actually being logical 
analytical and assessing risk. But we don't give space for that because we're just screaming at the top of our lungs to go mint something. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. And I'll share something that I don't share with many people. But you know, I've spoken to people for years about crypto and Web3, to all types of people, industry experts and influencers. I'm, very, I'm more comfortable speaking with women than I am with men. And it's just, for me, I guess I'm a girl's girl, but like it, I understand better and I listen and I focus. And sometimes, I, I don't know, that's just me. And it could just be because I'm more empathetic and relate better with women, but. Well, women are better listeners too. And that allows a conversation. If you talk at someone, that's not a conversation, that's broadcast. And so I know we're making, making big generalizations, right? But I think women tend to be more thoughtful about how they approach things. And there's thinking and listening in some ways. It's not, like I said, just a gender-based thing. It's a, a culture thing. And when you have speculative assets that mint in seconds, people move fast. And that brings an alpha energy of competition to it. I actually think taking a breath and like I don't even FOMO out on stuff I miss out on anymore because I've lost out on so many things I filled I FOMO'd into that are worth nothing. I'm like I would rather not lose money than to have lost the chance to win money mm-hmm. because losing money happens so much more. <laughs> yeah. I mean just based on that like you know we we want to bring more women and more diversity into this space. How do you suggest we do that because I still think and I mean this is just in general Um, The mainstream is scared of cryptocurrency, NFTs, blockchain technology because they associate with crypto, which is, you know, a misconception. But um, how can we bring more people into the space that might be frightened of it? We have to explain things in terms that make sense for people. We sometimes jump so quickly to wallets and seed raises and NFTs and they're like, what's a blockchain? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the first things I do is like, the first question people always ask me when I talk about NFTs, and they're like, I can't touch it. All right, so I can say all these things about what it is or what it is. They don't care about the technical aspects of it. So I've done this a lot at conferences I speak at. I make everyone in the audience take out their phone and open their photo reel. And I say, show me your favorite photo in there. And they all hold it up, and it's usually family, a vacation, a pet, a child. It's like, cool, I'm going to come down there and delete all the photos off your phone. And there's a huge reaction. They're like, why would you do that? No, no. Well, you can't touch those either. Why do you care so much? So just because you can't touch it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Sentimental for sure and maybe even financial. So by doing things in context that people can anchor their brain to, you start breaking through. right? Coming in and talking about bored apes and how valuable those are is absolutely the wrong path. Because most people don't even have the means to afford it. There's already a, like a, a reaction against, wow, you have, make enough money to pay a quarter of a million dollars for a JPEG. You're already getting somebody on the defense. But talking to them about something like that will oh, I can't touch it, but it's valuable. What does that mean, right? Or the example I used before about what's your favorite music and calling it a format is not what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think by breaking things down, first of all, in terms that people can relate to is hugely important. But the second thing is I tell everyone who's actually concerned about adoption and diversifying that is anytime you learn something cool, whether it's alpha on something to mint or just a way to explain something, you've got to tell three people and they can't look, act, or sound like you. Because we fall into habits of people that look and act like us. We move in those same circles. But if you take a concerted effort to say, I'm going to actually put it out on Twitter and see you know, how broad of an audience that reaches, or personally reach out to three people that I think would really benefit from knowing this that aren't already in the space or aren't already in access modes, 
I think that's where the, the organic starts. It has to happen at the grassroots level. Right. That's such great advice. And hopefully as we're seeing major brands start to enter the space, um, we'll have a lot more onboarding of people that don't look and sound like us. Um, anything you're excited about for the future? Maybe new loyalty programs from big brands or anything else like that? I'm excited for the future of Web 2.5. I think the future is a melding of all of this. And solutions that let us choose our own adventure really matter. You know, if we were thinking about technology evolution, right? We went from print to radio to TV, internet. AR, VR should be how we live all of our lives, but we don't walk around with Oculus headsets. In fact, we'd crash our cars if we did. So what I'm excited about is, as you mentioned, brands coming into the space, but creating solutions that are a hybrid. So one of the things I did for New York Fashion Week, I worked with Vivian Tam to build a metaverse. She still had her real life fashion show, beautifully attended the whole, all the works, right? but we built a metaverse replica. It wasn't pixelated, it was an exact replica as close as we could get to the Spring Street studio room down to the lighting. And if you've been to a fashion show, it looks all fancy, but when you actually look, it's bare walls and benches. That is what in the runway is a strip of open space in the middle. So we recreated that, but where the magic came was we said we didn't care if you came in person or came in the metaverse, we wanted you to have an equal experience. So the music was piped from the metaverse from the DJ into the real world. And the show, the actual show, not pixelated cartoons or faction, but the show was live streamed into the metaverse. So you got the same experience. You got seated assignments in the metaverse that was gated to you as a VIP in the front row. The gift bag that real life people got we sent in the mail to the metaverse front row attendees, right? Um, we even had portals where on each side you could walk up in person in real life and see the metaverse. People in the metaverse could walk up and actually influencers and tastemakers could talk to each other through the seamless wall. And so all these experiences, it was actually finally number one, easy enough as a 2D browser for people who are in the meat space to understand. And number two is the assertion of that it's a seamless membrane that we don't care if, which side you sit on. You're equal to us regardless if you show up digitally or physically. And we whipped that up in six weeks. It was a massive sprint. Got three and a half billion impressions from it because the fashion world finally understood this. So the funny thing is it's not technologically the most advanced, right? We use Vatim, which is a platform that works with brands and web too. And we had a few teams build it, but it was the ease of use but the seamless membrane of, oh my God, I'm an influencer in the metaverse that's a non, but I got sent a gift bag just like I was a real life attendee. It's those moments that unlock it. Wait, which metaverse platform was this in? It's called Vatim. Okay, I've Eric never heard of that one, so. Yeah, so. so they work with mostly brands. They work with iHeart, State Farm. Um, for the World Cup, Half, almost half a million, 460,000 users through Pepsi signed up for a wallet without knowing it was a wallet. Mm -hmm. Right? They just signed up to win tickets to the World Cup and interact with fans all over the world. You talk about adoption. What these guys are doing, they're not all custodial. Right, If a fan or a company is sophisticated enough, they can actually take custody of those assets. But right now, they just sit on Vatim. But it's a metaverse integrated with checkout, even integrating with in-person checkout at retail stores. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk about loyalty and brands. You don't order a can of Pepsi online, but you can redeem it at a gas station. So they're building a web two plus three solution that uses some elements of metaverse and, and tokens and assets, but it's in a way that in the front end just looks like a website. Do you think that's the future that we're gonna start seeing? Do you think, you know, Vivian Tam, she's an early innovator and adopter. I've been following her work for years. Yeah, she's the best. Amazing, beautiful designs. But do you think we're going to start seeing more designers um, do this, like be in the metaverse and do fashion weeks in the metaverse? Do you think this is going to become the norm? 
I think it'll be a component of it. I mean, we've been streaming fashion shows for 10 years. That's not new. You could always watch a fashion show on your computer. But the ability to interact with not only other guests in the metaverse, but in real life, that's really cool. So um, I think it's going to be, again, a choose-your-own-adventure, right? Uh, you know, being able to superimpose digital fashion for magazine shoots or having remote virtual locations. We're not flying an entire crew to Fiji to film. We have green screen that actually looks so good. It's actually better than the lighting or the storm that might have hit when you were actually on the ground there. Super opposing fashion, not just for, you know, style shoots and magazines, but I would love to turn on a Zoom and being in a plain white t-shirt, but have the latest Gucci blouse digitally superimposed. And instead of paying $1,000 in store, I might have paid 75 bucks to have the digital version to wear on my Zoom. That's what I think it's going to be a really fun hybrid. There's absolutely room for purists who want to have full custody, to have complete metaverses where they're fully integrated. But the majority of us want to be able to move back and forth. Like, I don't want to do this podcast. And you guys offered it to do it remote. I was like, I want to sit down with you guys today. That's never going to go away. Yeah, totally. And by the way, shout out to DressX because I love that app because I like to have different outfits for Instagram and you can just go on DressX, buy a virtual outfit. They'll superimpose it on you, put it on Instagram and people will think it's real. Yeah. And it, it is real, right? Well, what's real, you know? So I think we also, that's the other thing, just because it's digital, sometimes we always make it a second class citizen. Oh, the digital version of experience is the redheaded stepchild. We're like, no, if you're coming to the metaverse for this show, you're still getting a gift bag and it's legit everything the same. That's awesome. Well, this has been real. Thank you so much, Swan, for your time today and, and fitting us in. You're such an inspiration in this space. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to talk to you guys. I love that you guys are doing this because you talked about adoption. This is one of the tools. So thank you for spending your time on this. Thank you, Swan. Before we end, our listeners probably want to get in touch with you. How could they do that? Twitter and Instagram is the same. Swan, sit, S-W-A-N-S-I-T. And my website's the same. I won't even get into Blue Sky and Warpcast, but we'll get there. Okay. Ooh, next time, Blue Sky. I want to know more about Blue Sky. Yeah, the social future of distributed networks is going to be fascinating because I mean in a year I built three million followers on Clubhouse I think I ended up at 3.7 and I just ran into some Clubhouse friends I'd never met in real life until now they're like you left a year ago and I was like well real life happened I left 3.7 million people behind and it literally I don't wake up every day with I think about that every day but I don't have time to sit on a Clubhouse app for three hours every day anymore. So imagine in the future if your network is actually truly on chain and it doesn't matter what app you use to access them, you could actually still talk to your community. Absolutely the future. I cannot wait for it to come. Cool. Thanks, Swan. Thanks, Deanna. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you to Web3 Deep Dive's executive producer, Deanna dial Worsta. Thank you to Web3 Deep Dive's director, Alex Wilcox. And thank you to Web3 Deep Dive's producer, Mark Gamo. I also want to thank Donna Albo for providing the music for this podcast. And of course, thank you to the listeners for joining us for this episode of Web3 Deep Dive. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to like, comment, subscribe, and share so you can help spread the love and get the word out there about Web3 Deep Dive. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks.